Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for the show. Thank you all very much for tuning in, however you do it. I don't care what app. Uh, YouTube, Apple Music, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Transistor, the 411 Mania website. I don't care. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing to stay up to date with all of our content. We've got a fair bit of it. And thank you for interacting with the product some way. Be that a comment, a review, positive or negative. If you think it's a one-star show, give us one star for crying out loud. If you think it's a five-star show, give us five stars. I don't know what your preferences are or your sliding scale of quality. Just give us whatever rating you feel appropriate. That's all I can ask for. All right, on the docket this evening... A review of yesterday, early in the morning, well, not early, early, but early enough. The UFC was back, was in, not back, and they were in Denmark for the first time, so we'll have a review of that whole event. An event that was substantively better, both on paper and in practice, than the week before, but man, no one cared about this event at all. A little bit shocking, actually, just how low traffic this was. But we'll go over the we'll go over all the events from that, some of the fallout. And we'll have a preview of UFC 243, which, oh boy. Uh, the last week or so, it lost one of the fights on the card. Thankfully, not the main event. And in all honesty, the fight that it lost, uh, not that big a deal for where I sit. I mean, I'm sure it's not good for the fighters who now don't get paid, which sucks. But uh, it does not, uh, again, substantively affect my excitement about the card. Um because Whitaker and Adesanya is, ooh, baby. <laughs> I am very excited about that one. Uh, we'll also have news, because there was a lot of news. There were several fights that got announced or confirmed over the last week. Uh, a few main events, a few other stuff. Uh, so we'll talk about all of that and whatever else happens to come up between now and then, because that's how this show rolls. Here with me, per usual, my regular partner in crime, 411 Mania's resident jack-of-all-trades, Jeff Harris, is back again. How you doing, Jeff? My favorite food is Okonomiyaki. Good to know. Welcome. All right, let's go ahead and jump into yesterday's card that I imagine no one cares about, but I saw I sat through it, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, the main event, upset numerically, Significant upset, actually. I believe Jared Cannonier was a plus 280 or so underdog, something along those lines. Jared Cannonier defeats Jack Hermanson via TKO in the second round, uh, 27 seconds into the second round. Jared Cannonier, since dropping to middleweight, is now 3-0. and He finished uh, Dave Branch in the second round, finished Anderson Silva in the first round, and finished Jared Cannonier, or excuse me, finished Jack Hermanson in the second round. None of his fights have gone more than six minutes. And again, David Branch, not a world beater, but a, certainly a tough roadblock that a lot of fighters have run into. Anderson Silva in, you know, 2018-19, I forget what year, it was one of those two years for that fight, I forget which one. Might have been this, it might have been 19 actually. Okay, not, certainly nothing like his prime. But, again, not a gimme, and to finish him is certainly something of note. And now Jack Hermanson, who'd won four fights in a row, 
finished three of those and was coming off the biggest win of his career when he, there was no controversy here when he beat Jacare and sent Jacare up to 205, actually. I, Jeff, what do you make of Jared Cannonier after this? I mean, there's still a lot of unknowns, but this was a big win for him. I totally called this one wrong, but I did say this was basically Jack Hermanson's fight to lose, did I not? It basically was. He was number five uh, ranked guy. He was coming off a win over Jacare. Cannonier had not been all that impressive in the UFC up until recently. Um, I guess one thing we can say, Robert, is overall in this sport, we tend to have the capacity to overlook that guys have the ability to get better and go on these sort of sleeper runs or sort of unassuming runs where like, wow, this guy's sudden, suddenly getting better all of a sudden. I mean, look at uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, who when he started his UFC career, he was nothing special. And then he, he worked his way up to the lightweight title level. I mean, I mean, less than 10 years ago, Rafael got what happened to him. He got finished by, by guess who? Uh, Clay Guido, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, who's never even fought for the UFC title, even though he's gotten close a couple times in his career. So I guess my point is, is that Jerry Cannonier has sort of arrived with this win, and we have to sort of take him a lot more seriously now. And he has clearly gotten better since he moved down, and he's clearly improved overall as a fighter. I mean, lest we forget, Jared Cannonier does have wins at heavyweight, which is great. I mean, look, at 185, that man is shredded. But the fact that he was competing, you know, north of 200, because uh, I forget exactly what he weighed for a few of those fights, but he was 230, 240. Yeah, I mean, and just like, a you know, a wrecking he ball. Like, he doesn't look like he should be fighting anywhere close to heavyweight. No, now that he's actually like in his proper weight class, you look at that guy and go... Okay, I can see you fighting at light heavyweight. It's just a you know not as much of a weight cut, but heavyweight. And again, he won a lot at heavy, not a lot in the UFC, but he has wins at heavyweight. I, this was a significant win for him, and he seems to be dialed in. I mean the the takedown defense for him is rapidly coming along. He struggled on the first couple of shots that Hermanson tried at him in this fight, but it seems like once he knows how you're going to try to take him down, his takedown defense gets better. It starts becoming less effort for him to stop you taking him down. And that's a scary thought, because if your plan is to wear him out with it, you better have some diversity of attacks as far as your takedowns, because if you do the same thing, he gets a read on that relatively quickly and just stops you faster and faster. Uh, in the second round, uh, Hermanson just ducked into an uppercut. Cannoneer proceeded to pound him out on the mat. Uh, I don't know, again, specifically who he's got next, but he just took out the number, what, five guy in the war number five contender, I think, was what he was, was Hermanson's rating. He's got a, he's due a top, another, you know, elite level opponent next. And he's probably going to, and in all honesty, after this win, depending on, again, availability, 
I think we said it last week. The winner of this fight could be slotted into the title picture. Depending on, again, who's available, who gets injured, and what the schedule looks like. It's not unreasonable for him to be the next title challenger. So, really good win from Cannoneer. Uh, sucks for Hermanson, man. There's not a lot of upside. There's not a lot of spin on this one to be positive for him. He was on a career best run and took a dangerous fight. Took it, and you know, credit to Hermanson was not. He, I don't think he overlooked Cannoneer in the traditional sense of I'm going to blow through this guy. I think he took a dangerous fight to main event this card. It backfired. I think he just didn't expect that Cannoneer would get better like we did. Yeah, there's elements of his improvement that are just you know, fair, um, again, very steady. He's got a nasty calf kick that he's developed. I mean, he stopped Anderson Silva with leg kicks. And then here, he tore up Hermanson's lead calf in that first round uh, visibly. It was visibly bruised and swelling. Uh I just want to say Paul Felder on commentary at one point last night said, can we go back in time and just stop those calf kicks? Because man, those suck. And you know what? Yeah, I, I completely understand Mr. Felder. Those, those do suck, but they're also kind of a uniquely MMA thing. I don't think I've seen a lot of those in any other kickboxing, be that, you know, Muay Thai or Dutch or uh, whatever league you want to associate with. I'm not sure what it is about the stances or some of the meta decision making that goes into that that makes those so effective for MMA. But they, those, again, if you've never been hit really hard in the calf, that sucks. That's a, that's a real, that'll ruin your night in a hurry. So, good for Cannoneer, sucks for Hermanson, but middleweight's a really, really good division right now. And, again, I don't think Cannoneer is necessarily, if you were to plot it out on paper, the next title challenger. But if he gets slotted in there because somebody's injured and this card's coming up and we need a title main event, whatever, I could see it. I could absolutely see it. The thing about Cannoneer is he's 35 years old, you know? Yeah, he got into the game a little bit late. Um, Plus, he had that time where he was fighting at heavyweight, so... But now he's he's certainly, excuse me. Now he's suddenly gotten good, and now he's sort of a threat at middleweight. So if he's going to have a run, the time for him to do it is right now, and make a and make a play. I don't. I mean, his next fight. He is due for a bigger fight. His next fight out and. Maybe not a title title eliminator, but very close. Maybe he fights Paulo Costa. We'll see. That's definitely a possibility. I mean, him and Yoel Romero would make a lot of sense. Uh, Gastelum's fighting Till, but that's the only other guy ranked above him, or where I assume he's going to wind up after the rankings are updated. So, yeah, him and Costa, him and Romero... Uh, him against the winner of Gastelum and Till, maybe. Uh, there's There are options for him, and I'm very interested to see what his, you know, which direction they go with it, because there's a lot of ways they could go, and a lot of them that make sense. All right, that was your main event. 
Do you want us to do uh, Burning Desires for the rest of these? Because there were some good fights, but I don't know. Do we really want to go into detail? I, I think we can just do bullet points for this and then move on to next next week. All right. Um, your co-main event was a UFC debutante, Marco Madsen, O being the middle initial. So Mark Madsen and uh, Danilo Bellowardo. If you're wondering why Mark Madsen is in the co-main event, um, it was purely for the locals. Um, and th- that's not to say Madsen's not a talented fighter. He's a three-time Olympian representing Denmark. He won a silver medal in 2016. 18? 16. Yeah, 16, because the next games are 2020. And, ha- I mean, the crowd was molten for this guy. So, that's why he was there. <laughs> uh, he smashed Danilo Bellowardo in a minute and 12 seconds. This was a squash match, basically. Um, I'm I'm curious to see Madsen continue to progress, but he's also on the older side. Of, I mean, he's got a lot of athletic life left in him quite clearly, but he is over. He's like 30 something. Um, yeah, he's older than I am. He's 35. And point being, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of time to screw around, but again, he's also, there's a lot of ability there quite clearly. Um, Gilbert Burns defeated Gunnar Nelson for unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Fun fun exchanges here, mostly on the feet. Um, neither guy just really wanted to get countered on a takedown attempt and wind up on bottom, so they struck it out for the most part. Um, competitive fight, no complaints. Iwan Kutelaba defeated Khalil Roundtree via TKO in the first round. Um... Roundtree just, he had moments on the feet, but then one of his kicks got off balanced and Kutelaba was able to repeatedly take him down against the fence, hit him, take him down, hit him, take him down, hit him. And eventually that just kind of wore him down and he pounded him out. Um, If Kutelaba ever really gets a handle on his abilities and himself, he might be a threat in that division, but it's also light heavyweight. Speaking of light heavyweight and what a dumpster fire it is, over in St. Prue, Defeated Mikhail Oleksajuk via Va- uh, Von Fluchok in the second round. Oleksajuk had a really good first round. Um, arguable a 10-8. But the size disparity, I think, played a factor here. While Oleksajuk has power, he's all, there's a, there is kind of a sliding scale for that. If, you know, eventually... Eventually, size matters, especially if skill is relatively even. And when uh, St. Prue didn't get blown, didn't get, you know, hurt very badly or, you know, finished in the first round, uh, he just kind of found ways to deal with Oluksajic. Oluksajic was trying to overcome a significant height and reach disparity. He might want to consider middleweight. Uh, it might be too much. I, I freely, I'm open to the possibility that for him, middleweight is just a bridge too far as far as getting down in weight. But he is undersized at 205 and at the moment doesn't have the full arsenal of skills to completely compensate for that. Again, he's This was his first loss in the UFC, so he's not a bad fighter. But that is a limiting factor, I think, for him right now. 
Um, Nicholas Dalby defeated Alex Oliveira via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, decent fight. Uh, nothing, again, nothing like world-ending or terribly memorable, but a good fight. All uh, Kind of a good fight. John Phillips defeated Alan Amadovsky via knockout in the first round. This was your 17-second brawl for the evening. Um, Amadovsky's not a UFC-caliber fighter. Uh, Mahmoud Muradov defeated Alessio DeChirico via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. A good little scrap here. Muradov's kind of an interesting guy, as uh, as a fighter goes. He's the first uh, Uzbek to make his way to the UFC, so there's that. Um, he's uh, Again, there's clearly a lot to work on. He and DeChirico just had a primarily striking battle for three rounds. Uh, not a bad fight to look up. Ismail Narudiev defeated C.R. Bahadur Zadev unanimous decision, 30-26, 30-25, 30-25. Um, total wipeout for Narudiev. Better striker. Timely takedowns. Good positional control. Uh, good win for him to get back on track after he was derailed in his pre- after his you know, kind of hype train was stalled after his last fight. So uh, good for him. Giga Chikadze defeated Brandon Davis via split decision. I have two things about this. Um, first of all, this was originally announced as a draw because apparently adding tens and nines together three times is too hard for some people. Uh, it's hard for Australian MMA judges. It was hard for them. It was hard for these guys. It, uh, it just profoundly stupid. It's basic math, people. You do this enough, it shouldn't be that hard. Now, fortunately... Didn't you it was the square root of 10? Eh. Yeah, and people wonder why I'm opposed, why I take issue with them going to a half-point system. I don't trust these people to add whole numbers, much less halves. Um, so the fact this was originally announced as a draw, a lot of us, myself included, said this is absolute crap. It was. That do- that has detracted a little bit from how stupid it is to give Brandon Davis two rounds at all. One judge did. Absolutely stupid. The fact that every judge gave him the first round, to me, is incorrect. You are significantly overvaluing pointless position along the fence to the damage that was inflicted consistently throughout the rest of the fight by Chikadze. Uh, this fight is a damning indictment of judging in MMA right now, if nothing else. Lena Landsberg scored a significant upset. She defeated Macy Chaison via unanimous decision, 29-27 twice, won 29-28. Um, yeah, Chaison just couldn't... Spent a lot of time in the clinch, and while she had a good first round, that kind of faded as the fight went on. Uh, again, big win for Landsberg. Mark Jacquesi defeated Lando Venata via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 130-26. Jacquesi seems to have uh, adjusted a little bit from his significant skid he was on. He's calmed down a lot of his stupidity in the cage and is now causing people a lot of problems and kicking everything off. Jack Shore defeated Noeline Hernandez via rear naked choke in the third round. Um... Shore was just kind of better everywhere. Uh, I don't remember a tremendous amount about that fight, but uh, good enough win for Shore. 
All right, Jeff. Uh, again, there were some decent fights. There were a few hidden gems. What strikes your fancy? What do you want to talk about for a little Does bit? OKC crew have the record for most Von Fluchoke wins in the UFC? Yes. I mean... He really likes that submission hole, but I mean... At least it, it's giving him some kind of record, at least, because... I find it highly unlikely... St. Prue's ever going to be like UFC champion, you know? But, hey, who has more Von Flute jokes in the UFC than this guy? Like, he's got, I mean, he's got almost as many as, um, frick, oh, God, as Olenek has Ezekiel's. Like, the ability to use marginal. Because he uses this, and he's won with it more than anyone else in the UFC, and, like, no one else does this hold. That's because it's so it's relatively easy to avoid, and a lot of people don't respect it. And, consequently, and he's one. He's he's one. I mean, and look, he's beaten. He's beaten a former title contender, Yuchin Okami, with it. Um, who else? Nikita did he, Nikita Krylov. Yep. Did he get him with the Von Flu? Yeah, a few years ago. I mean, not. Not push not pushovers here when these fights happened. So the Okami fight was a gigantic mismatch. Well was that fight at light heavyweight because yes. Okami was you know, generally a career middleweight, but Yeah, that but, was at light that was a light heavyweight. Exactly good another good win for Gilbert Burns. That's four wins in a row for him. Underrated fighter man. Only He's only lost three times in the UFC, and this is, let's see now, one, two, three, four, five, six, ten, he's ten and three in the UFC, you can't sleep on this guy. Um, he's a high, le- he's a high level opponent, and he probably deserves a bigger fight coming up, don't you think? Yeah, but some of it's going to depend on what, he says he wants to stay at welterweight, mm-hmm. I'd love and I'd like to see him against a ranked opponent next. I don't know who specifically, but look at the rankings real fast. I think he called out Neil Magny. Um, which Neil I'm Magny okay is with. That, he he's injured or something, isn't he? I think he had a doping issue. What is? Yeah, he failed. Yeah. He had some kind of yeah, failed drug test. Okay. So, um, you know, Magny's a thought. It, it was just so weird. Failed an out-of-competition test for dihydroxy-LGD-403. Yeah. So is he suspended? Or, or are they, is it still... A, or is it, are they still investigating it? I don't know. I haven't heard any updates. Okay. So who knows? So it might be, uh, provi- so it might be a provisional suspension. Um, so that doesn't make sense. And Kutalaba, good win over Khalil Roundtree. It was a solid knockout, so. Kutalaba, not a world beater, but he has, he tends to have good fights. Decent fighter. Yeah, he's not really in boring fights, if nothing else. Uh, that's about it for this card, though. Yeah, yeah, this was not a bad card. Uh... Some of it, again, some of it kind of blurs, but that's 
kind of par for the course yeah, at this point. A lot of, there weren't a lot of sexy names on the car, but there were some decent. There were some decent fighters. I mean, apparently, it, it looks like it did well for for Denmark. It looks like they drew a one point six million dollar gate, and I think they had twelve thousand people, give or take. Well, you know, some not a, bad, of, not a but, bad show. But I mean, you know. I don't know if was this their first Denmark card or not. Yeah, yeah, this is the so first time they've been in Denmark. Denmark. It seems like they did okay, but it wasn't. You know, it just wasn't a top-heavy card. But it was. I guess this is sort of like what fight pass cards were for a while, for the most part. Every yeah. once in a while, we get we would get like um, uh, a fuel TV or a fight card with. Uh, with the title, with the title fight, if it was like for a specific international crowd, but not in this case. But, all right, moving right along to the big card, where the big main event, at least, we're all excited about. It's a pretty solid card, actually. Uh, it, it's it's solidish. It's really just about that main event, and yeah, again, if they lose the main event, they're in trouble. But there's a handful of well, fights on this card I'm looking forward to. They're in trouble here. I think it's a bit problematic that we don't have any more middleweights on this card. Yeah. They, uh, th- there is no one to step up, potentially, if one of those two falls out. UFC has been bringing on backups for title fights lately. I I don't think they even have a backup for this. Well, that's my point. I think that's a good practice for big main events to ha- pay for a backup. I don't yeah. think that's a bad idea because in this day and age, you need a back. You need a backup for these big fights because we've seen so much chaos. Ha- look at um, UFC 200. Look at what happened with um, Habib Nurmagomedov and t- Khabib, uh, excuse me, and Tony Ferguson. Where who do you end up fighting? Ally Akinta, who's fighting on yeah. this card. Heck, look at what happened the last time they scheduled Robert Whitaker. Uh, yeah. Wound up having to have emergency uh, hernia surgery. <laughs> like, yeah, and then Adesanya ended up fighting uh, Anderson Silva in the main event. And that, Whitaker was supposed to fight Gaslam that night, correct? And Gaslam actually, uh, if memory serves, Gaslam had a staph infection as well. He was going to go through it, though. Yeah, he was. Like, yeah. I think, it, But I think, oddly enough, it was on his face. So Whitaker, please. On the back of his neck, it was visible on some of those pictures. Please don't get a staph infection in your intestines and have your intestines like eating themselves from inside of you. I I hope you're healthy and doing okay for this fight. But yeah. Yeah, the Um, main event, uh, Whitaker and Adesanya. I am so excited for this fight. It's one of the best middleweight title matchups I think we've seen for a while because, I mean, Whitaker is. Such a great, I mean, he's a great, he hasn't lost um, since June 2000, no, February 2014, Stephen Thompson Yep. Moved, moved up to, moved up, think about that, he moved up in weight and um, just finally found his footing, became an elite level middleweight fighter, um, made it to the title level. Uh, it's just that he's constantly getting hurt or sidelined with injuries. And the last time, I mean, he did fight twice in 2017. 
but he's not been very active as champion, um, mainly because of injuries. And then when he was supposed to defend the title against Yoel Romero, <laughs> Romero missed weight. Yeah, this is technically Whitaker's first title defense, in theory. <laughs> um, I like Whitaker for this fight, though. I like Adesanya. I'm just not convinced he's he's got what it takes to beat Whitaker. I don't think... Um, look, we know he can hang in there for five rounds. That's not my problem. My problem is that he's hittable. Um, and Gastelum did give him problems. And I think Whitaker is a lot better fighter than Gaslam, and I think he's more technical. I think he's a better striker. I think he's more powerful. And uh, I think he has more ways he can beat Adesanya than Gaslam does. But I could be wrong, but, I mean, we'll see. This is, I mean, Adesanya has passed every test that's been put in front of him, and Gaslam was a big one. I mean, he's a tough, well-rounded opponent. Uh... But I don't think this is the challenge he's going to pass. So I'm picking Whitaker. I have uh, I've gone back and forth on this a little bit for a couple of different reasons. Um, first of all, to anyone out there listening, the last fight from both of these gentlemen is free on the UFC's YouTube page right now. That and that uh, that's Whitaker. That's the rematch between Whitaker and Romero from 2018. Which, to anyone who knows what they're talking about, was the fight of the year from 2018. And Adesanya versus Gastelum from earlier this year, which is, if not the fight of the year so far, easily the second. I know so. I there's a bit of debate between uh, that fight and the, the fight that followed it actually on that same card, uh, Poirier and Holloway. I think dis- discerning between those two largely comes down to personal taste rather than anything objective. Uh They are both tremendous, tremendous fights. They're both absolutely worth watching. Uh, They're they're phenomenal. Uh, For those of you who care about some of these metrics, about a few different metrics as far as that goes, Whitaker versus Romero right now has, I think, 600,000 views or so. Adesanya versus Gastelum is like 1.2 million. Assuming this fight draws interest beyond the hardcore audience, we know who they're showing up for. And... I think that's, again, I think it sucks that Whitaker's not a bigger star, but some of that is bad luck. Some of that's of his own making. Some of, uh, those are the only, like, I, uh, other than that, you know, why people, why the audience responds to certain people and not others is an extraordinarily nebulous thing. So, again, you can watch both of those fights. I encourage you to do so. They are phenomenal, phenomenal fights. I just to kind of spoil my pick. I am leaning towards Whitaker here. He has a couple of things that I'm not saying Adesanya can't deal with them, but these are points of conflict between the two that I think might favor Whitaker, or I am at least curious to see if how Adesanya deals with them. First and foremost, actually, is Whitaker's jab. Um, Robert Whitaker has arguably the best jab in MMA, and to my mind, he does. He uses it very well. It's very fast. It's accurate. He builds off of it quite well. He alternates types of jabs 
uh, because there's different types of jabs. There's some that are power. There's some that are stinging. There's some that just occupy space while you do something else. Those are the kind that tend to get you in trouble, actually. Whitaker has, again, I think the best jab in the sport. It's a thing of beauty. He knows how to use it. He knows how to build off of it. And Gastelum's jab gave Adesanya problems at times. Now, I don't know how much stock to put in that for a fairly simple reason. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum's a southpaw, and Robert Whitaker is orthodox. Now, Whitaker and, uh, I mean, Adesanya does a lot of stance switching. Whitaker does a bit here and there, but he's primarily an orthodox fighter. Um, but both of these guys actually have fought a lot of southpaws. Just a lot of southpaws at middleweight. I mean, uh, Adesanya's last, I think, three fights have been against southpaws. Because Brunson's a southpaw. Uh, Anderson fights southpaw the majority of the time. Gastelum southpaw. And the jab, when you're facing opposite stance fighters, is a, is just a very different weapon than when you're in the same stance. It leads to different things. It's a more dangerous punch to throw when you're opposite stance. It's much easier to get countered. And it's harder to see the counter coming in some respects. So I don't know how much the jab from Gastelum was just Adesanya kind of conceding that, okay, this is not, this is going to hit me, but it's not really the problem I have to worry about. And how much of it was Gastelum's hand speed surprising him, because that clearly played a part. And how much of it might just be that his defense is very reaction-based, and a good, consistent jab can flummox and annoy a lot of fighters that have that. I mean, Weidman's jab gave Anderson Silva kind of you know, some things to definitely think about throughout their fights. So, I, I don't know. Again, Whitaker's jab is a problem for anyone he fights. Uh Regardless of how good or bad they are, his jab is that good. It's definitely a tool that has to be addressed. We haven't seen... I said this about Dustin Poirier, and I'm going to say a similar thing here, because when I talked about Poirier versus Khabib, I mentioned that Dustin Poirier had not faced a wrestling first fighter in his entire lightweight run. And consequently, we there were a lot of questions that we simply didn't have answers to, even before you factor in that Khabib is, in some respects, his own animal. The same's kind of true of Whitaker here, in that his run at middleweight, while a lot of the guys he's fought he is forced to strike with him, he's not fought a dedicated striker since moving up. His first fight at middleweight was, I believe, against Clint Hester, brawler who wound up not panning out at all. Uh, Brad Tavares, more of a, more of kind of the grindy freestyle fighter. Um, Derek Brunson, a lot of power, but, uh, sorry, Rafael Natal first, and Natal, not a striker, you know, rangy, tough guy, but jiu-jitsu practitioner first and foremost. Derek Brunson, his striking, while powerful, only really works when he's able to integrate takedowns or he just blows you out of the water by being significantly better than you. Uh, Jacare, not a striker, again, can strike. N none of these people are helpless when it comes to that area of the fight game. But Jacare, not a striker, first and foremost. Yoel Romero, crushing power. Also, again, not a striker predominantly. We have not seen in the entirety of his middleweight run Robert Whitaker face a sophisticated striker, or again, even someone who is a striker first and foremost. The last time he fought a 
again, a sophisticated striker of any variety, he was finished by Stephen Thompson. Now, that was five years ago or something like that, and down a weight class, so I'm not putting a tremendous amount of stock in that fight, but it does bear note, but it does bear paying attention to. What Whitaker does very, very well is force people to strike with him when they don't want to. That's Again, he has a lot of other tools at his disposal. I'm grossly oversimplifying here for the sake of conversation, but that is... He's good at making um, guys uncomfortable, too. Yes. He is, he, they're not comfortable with. Yeah, he excels at that. And that's a perfectly fine thing, but he's also had the benefit of, thus far in his, UF, in his middleweight run, being able to achieve that by forcing people who want to grapple to strike. We have not yet seen him have to force grappling on someone who wants to strike who wants to strike with him first and foremost. Not again, I'm not saying he can't. He very well might. He's an exceptional fighter. He became good enough at wrestling in his downtime to qualify for the Commonwealth Games, which is a fairly significant wrestling tournament. Uh, there's like 50 different countries. It's all the apparently it's all the countries that like the British colonized. And he was good enough that he qualified to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games. He wound up not being able to attend because he had to fight. But, okay, and again, how good are the Australians at wrestling? Who knows? A a wrestler, but I feel like he's gotten better with his grappling at least. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, again, I'm not saying he can't force Adesanya into deeply uncomfortable positions via his grappling. I'm saying we've never seen him have to do that, and it's it's a wrinkle to play out. You seem to like Adesanya. No, I'm picking Whitaker. I'm, I'm, hang on, really? I'm, talking, I'm talking about Whitaker right now. I'm going to talk about Adesanya in a second. Uh, so again, those are again, those are kind of the questions around Whitaker that I have for this fight. You've been really high on Adesanya for a long time, though, so I'm surprised you're not picking him. I will not be surprised if he wins. I'm I'm happy to say it like that. I am picking Whitaker uh, again. I think his jab is probably going to trouble Adesanya. Adesanya's game, and again, watch his last his most recent fights because who he is right now bears almost no relation to the guy in his first two UFC fights. I mean, the guy who struggled with Marvin Vittori's clinch game, he's not that guy anymore. Run that fight back now, he murders Vittori. Like, that's not... That's barely a competitive fight now. He has rapidly and dramatically improved his game. But if you... Again, if you watch his most recent fights, Adesanya's game relies a lot on timing, which can take a while to get going. It... Again, he's a, I, I don't know to the, the extent to which he's just susceptible to a good technical jab or the extent to which it was just a byproduct of how he chose to fight Kelvin Gastelum at times, but Gastelum's jab gave him trouble. And I think Whitaker's might. Whitaker has a better jab than Kelvin Gastelum. I think one of the other things that if you watch the fight with Gastelum back... When Gastelum has success, it comes from rapidly closing distance before Adesanya has a real feel for his timing and for the spatial di- and for the space they're occupying, and kind of surprising him in that space. 
And Gastelum has very fast hands. He has very fast feet, actually. His footwork is quite good. And Whitaker does a lot of that, too. Whitaker does a fair amount of... Again, he jabs very well, but one of his primary weapons is more his blitzing. He jabs you, he kicks at you, be those sidekicks or kind of leg kicks, and just like, okay, doing something, doing something, jab, jab. Then he decides whether he sees something, whether it's purely timing-based, whatever it happens to be, when he decides to go, he tends to come forward with a significant combination. Uh, it's actually one of the things that hurt Gastelum a little bit in their fight, I think. He only was throwing two or three punches. Whitaker, if he feels comfortable enough, will string together four or five strikes. He'll, you know, triple jab into a right hand into a head, into a head kick. That's not uncommon if you watch his fights. Um, I don't know how much I sh how much stock to place in the kicking game being a weakness here because Adesanya was dealing with Gastelum quite well through rounds two, three, and even into four before Gastelum surprised him with a head kick. I think the primary issue there is the surprise. I don't. Gastelum had thrown a handful of leg kicks in that fight to that point. I think like two body kicks, but he's not a kicker. That's not. I honestly, apart from that one against Adesanya, I can't remember the last time I even saw him throw a head kick. By contrast, Robert Whitaker's head kick, kicking game in general is well documented. I mean, he finished Derek Brunson and Jacare with head kicks. He wobbled Romero with head kicks. Like it, if you are aware that Robert Whitaker is going to try and kick you in the head if you fight Robert Whitaker, less so with Gastelum. It's just not a not a tool he displays. So it might have been pure surprise. But it does again. It is a thing to consider. I still think Adesanya is getting way overhyped. It depends on who you're listening to. Because I'm certain there are people overhyping him. I have no yeah. doubt about it. Now, Whitaker, it's just the inactivity that's hurt him. That and... I think... Uh, some of it's the inactivity. Some of it's also the... way his last couple of fights, again, apart from the time between them, have played out. Because he had two knockdown drag-out affairs with Yoel Romero... And arguably, he lost the second one. I arguably he won the first, the second one too. I mean, officially, he won the se he won the second one. And I'd argue he won both those fights. Rewatching their second fight, I'm I'm constantly perplexed that there that no judge gave Romero a ten eight fifth round. I mean. And that includes me when I was doing it live. My, I mean, it's still a non-title fight, either whether we won or lost. I, I, I'm not disputing his claim to the title. He is the champion. Okay. Um, and, and again, Adesanya is not at all Yoel Romero in terms of setups, in terms really of defense. If after all this, Whitaker never once defended the title. Because remember, he was originally the interim champion in the first place because of that because of that nonsense with Bisbang. Yep. And they wouldn't strip Bisbang, and then GSP won the title, relinquished the title. Ugh. It would. I really hope his title reign wouldn't end like that, but you know, it's not his fault. Uh. A lot, you know, a lot of it is not. 
Some of it is just like the worst luck. Some of it's complete. Some of it's not even luck. Some of it's just what's happened. Some of it's other people's decisions. Uh, but again, I'm I'm leaning towards Romero. Romero. I'm leaning towards Whitaker. I'm curious how Adesanya will deal with the pressure. I'm curious how Adesanya will deal with a fighter who has better footwork. I, Adesanya's footwork in the Gastelum fight, rewatching it, was absolutely tremendous. He does a phenomenal job keeping his back off of the cage. I mean, there's a couple of times he gets shoved there on clinches. He gets hurt once and winds up putting his back on the fence. I mean, it's not that he never gets there. Did you know but, that where they're fighting, Marvel Stadium is is Marvel Stadium as in Marvel Comics? Eh, I did not. Marvel, but like, it has the Marvel logo, the Marvel Comics or the Marvel Entertainment logo on the stadium. That's cool. So they got they got they got the naming rights to use. That's pretty cool, though. So uh, they're going to have – do you think there's a good chance we'll be able to sell out the stadium? I think they already have. Um, that's pretty huge, though. I don't know. They might. Again, this is a massive fight for the region. You have uh, Israel Adesanya, born in Nigeria, prim- uh, moved to New Zealand when he was like in his like t- early teens at best, somewhere between like 10 and 13, I think. Trains there, claims New Zealand heritage. Whitaker, a native New Zealander, now training out of Australia. Sydney uh, Morning Herald reported four days ago that it's on track to sell out. Okay. So, so it might have sold out on that, or it's very close. So, it'll be nice to see uh, UFC at a big stadium again because it's not and, something we see often. It'll be a huge crowd. Uh. I'm I'm leading Whitaker in the fight, but I am deeply, deeply anticipating that I, fight. I love the matchup. I just hope everything goes off with the matchup and we get a great fight. I it's just really want those two to fight. Like, yeah, I, at, I this, think, at this point, I'm even. If the fight sucks, a I will be de- I will be profoundly shocked. But that happens sometimes. I just want it, the fight to actually happen. Well, look, we have the legit number one middleweight in the world right now against a legit contender and those are the i mean those are the type of fights i live for those are the fights i want to see like we have the legit number one contender right now and um in my mind these are the two best middleweights in the world i mean and, there you go and gegard musasi fans can i mean we've seen pro. plenty of examples where where we haven't been getting that um in the in the last several years so it's nice when this does happen isn't it I'm not going to say that happens routinely. I mean, we're getting we're getting some great matchups at um, 2:45, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, uh, two but, at 2:45 of the champion and number one contender fighting. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice. Okay, so I think we can move on to the co-main event now. Uh, at lightweight, we have Ally Kinta versus uh, Dan Hooker. Long live the Hangman. Um, went over James Vick in July. That was a beautiful finish he scored on Vick, by the way. Kenta looking for a rebound uh, over a May 2019 loss to Donald Cerrone. So uh, two top top lightweights here. And very comp- it's a competitive fight. I like this. It's a good. It's a good lightweight fight. I like Ayakinta here. What do you think? I I think you're smoking something. Well. Uh, 
outside. Look, Iaquinta is a dangerous fighter in many respects. He's not easy to take down. He's got power in his right hand. Unfortunately, he doesn't move his head at all. I mean, rewatch his fight with Khabib, and Khabib looks like a guy who's been boxing for a few years. And Khabib, I mean, again, come out of that fight, and people were talking about Khabib's jab. It's not a great jab. Iaquinta just doesn't move his head. Cerrone jabbed him up. Cerrone doesn't have a good jab. I mean, Cerrone's better than, if we're talking about just the jab, Cerrone's got a better jab than Khabib. He just he doesn't. Hand, on the other hand, Dan Hooker, very beatable. Uh, he's only had the one loss at lightweight, hasn't he? Uh, let's see. Yeah, his only loss at lightweight is to Edson Barboza. Mm, he's lost at lightweight outside the UFC. Uh, you're going back far enough at that point. I don't give it a tremendous amount of credence to this yeah, fight. I mean, so, I mean, lost to Yair Rodriguez, lost to Jason Knight. So, yeah, that was that was an embarrassing one. The night loss. All right. So, so since he moved, since he moved up in weight to lightweight in the UFC, he's gone five and one. And has finished all of those wins. Okay. He's a he's a formidable striker, but this is a striker versus grappling contest. I Iaquinta is a good wrestler. Iaquinta has not shot a double leg in five years. Meaning that's exactly what he should do here. Is all even your... even then I don't think he should. I Hooker, Hooker's not... got a nasty guillotine. That's how he's gonna beat that's how he's gonna beat Dan Hooker. I think if he forces grappling exchanges, he's going to wind up with his neck caught. Uh, he just has to not get, then he just has to not get caught. And I also, I mean, look, Iaquinta is also not exactly know, possessing look, of the... Guy, when you go for the guillotine, it's a, it is a risk, but when you go for the guillotine, you also risk blowing out your arms and gassing out your arms and losing, and losing position. So... Iaquinta also doesn't have a terribly high fight IQ. Um, he react. He he's decent when he's reacting, but if he has to think about stuff, uh, less good. He's again. He's got a powerful right hand, and that's about it. Uh, I don't know. I think he did very well against Kevin Lee. Uh, sure. He did okay in that. I mean, he won the fight. And he, and he came back from some tough rounds in that fight, too. I'd have to rewatch the fight, actually. I can't remember if he was... At, he had his back taken for a couple of periods, but... I mean, look, Iaquinta has very good defense if you're on his back. The, I mean, Khabib had his back at several points and couldn't do a whole lot with it. I, I, Dan Hooker, he's an exciting fighter. He's a great kickboxer striker i just think he's not well-rounded enough to beat i quinta but i could be wrong we'll see i like yeah. it's fun man it's a fun it's a it's an it's an it's a fun matchup but i think it's going to be a rough night for the new zealand fans that come to watch this card at marvel stadium now i got hooker here he's a very very analytical fighter he's great at finding openings be that punches knees and given how low in his stance i quinta fights 
Uh, and I don't know. I it just, it, question. Now, this is more of a regional question. Do you think due to the vicinity of like New Zealand, Australia, that Hooker will have a lot of uh, fans gunning for him in, in this fight, rooting for him? I mean. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, he's fighting, a, he's fighting, you know, Ally Aquinta. It's easy to cheer a guy fighting Ally Aquinta. Well. I imagine Adesanya is probably going to draw a lot of New Zealanders, too. Being in a main event title fight at a stadium. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Adesanya has, will, will be the one with the fan support in the well, main event. But I imagine some of that will spill over to Hooker as well. Yeah. Because main event, I mean, it's not, it's nowhere near as big of a fight, but yeah, you have New Zealanders, um, even though, even though Adesanya, I don't think he was born in, I think he was born, yeah, he was born in Nigeria, but raised it like, sort of like an adopted New Zealander. I think Hooker was that, he's actually born and raised in New Zealand, I believe. I believe so, yes. So, I mean, you got a little juice there for the New Zealand uh, contingent. So, and then you have, uh, you have kind of the the usual Oceania fighters yeah. on the rest of this on this card in general. Have, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really good. Right now, it's the co-main event. Uh, really good fight. Look forward to that one. Um, we have a heavyweight fight because boom reasons. heavyweights, as Mark Radulich likes to say. Uh, yeah, Tai Tuivasa will face will face um, Sergey Spivak. Um, I'm not sure Spivak's a genuine UFC caliber fighter. By contrast, Tuivasa on a two fight losing streak. Are we sure Tai Tuivasa is a UFC caliber fighter, though? I would say yes, but <laughs> but that is at the moment based entirely on the fact that he does have, I think, three wins in the UFC. Correct. Spivak did lose to Walt Harris in the UFC. Yes, dropped his debut. Which is like, no offense to Walt Harris, but I mean, like, come on. How bad of a fighter are you to lose to Walt Harris? Hey, Walt Harris is on like a five-fight unbeaten streak. I mean, Probably in the title picture. Well, if you're losing to Walt Harris, you probably shouldn't be in the UFC is my point. Um, All of his recent wins were over. Look, Tuivasa is set up to have a big win here. I imagine he'll get it. They're they're hoping to get a big, uh, you know, a feel good win for Tuivasa. Celebrate with the Australian fans and and have another disgusting chewy. Is when he drinks the the liquor out I'm of. I'm aware of what so, it is. I it's not a thing I choose to think about. This it's his trademark. He does, he's done it. After every one of his wins, uh, Luke. Next up at welterweight, Luke Jamo will fight Diego Lima. How many diseases like can you like get from doing that? I don't know. Does the alcohol sterilize the disease, like the foot fungus? You think, or what? I imagine. I don't know. Uh, some of it depends. Like the notion that alcohol sterilizes is true, but it's also related to the alcohol content. Rubbing alcohol is pure alcohol. You can't actually drink it. It'll kill you. Right. That sterilizes. So some of it has to do with how much is in there. I mean, I don't know. I Again, I prefer not to consider it. It's a relatively disgusting habit. Uh, anyway, Luke, again, Luke Jamal, 2-1 in the UFC fighting Diego Lima, who just barely 
who's you know, broken a three-fight losing streak. Um, what is last two, though? Yeah. The McGee decision was a bit debatable, but he did win. He did officially win. Win's a win. I kind of think Lima probably takes this. Uh, man, I don't even know. Why is this one on the main card? Uh, because they lost Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington. Oh, that's right. Um, damn. That's the best I got <laughs> as far as why this is on the main card. I mean, I got, I mean, I got to be honest, outside the top two fights, it's not the most enticing card, Robert. Uh, not especially, no. Mm. Again, there's a few fights I'm looking forward to, but not a lot. I'll go ahead and go with Lima. I'm not super excited about this matchup, but maybe it'll surprise us. Yeah. Uh, as for the rest of the card, Jake Matthews will fight Rustam Akman. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to this one, actually. Uh, Matthews is good for a scrap. I think he wins here. We have another heavyweight fight because I am not allowed to enjoy things. I believe we have two debutants here. Let me just confirm that real fast. Uh, we, have, we have Justin Taffa, 3-0 and from New Zealand. Australia? Yeah, Australia, that is the extra star. Um, he's here Why for the local crowd. Australia? Against Jorgen De Castro, who is Cuban? Sounds Cuban. No, he's from Cape Verde. He might have that type of ancestry, though. Uh, anyway, he is 5-0. and Coming off a win on the Contender Series. I'll probably go with him. Um, Callan Porter will fight Maki Pitolo. Maki. Uh, Pitolo's from the United States. Porter is from Australia. Pitolo is 12-4. and Porter's 17-8. and Potter, excuse me. Featherweight fight on this card. Um, Potter was on the Silva versus Adesanya card and got blown out by Jalen Turner. Um, Pitolo is making his UFC debut. Uh, coming off a win on the Contender Series. Megan Anderson. go with Pitolo there. Yeah, Megan Anderson, desperately trying to salvage her career, uh, is getting the gimme of all gimmies. When she battles um, Zara Farim dos Santos, who is French, uh, but with that last name, I like uh, that's. I wonder if there's not like if she wasn't like you know born in born and raised in France, but has a, Bra uh, a Brazilian father kind of thing. Uh, she's making her UFC debut here. I'm going with Anderson, but that's probably foolish. Uh, this is this is Anderson's last shot at like even being quasi relevant in the There's UFC. This is six and two. One or last three. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to give her a gimme, a cab driver gimme fight. It's yeah, they're, they're giving it. This is the easiest touch Anderson is going to get. If she drops this, I think it's time to cut bait. But it's an actual women's featherweight fight. Are we gonna get? Are we gonna get some actual rankings here for women's no. weight? <laughs> there's look. There's not even 15 women in the division. 
I mean, I mean, they just lost Cyborg. Uh, on Fight Pass, Jamie Malarkey. If he doesn't pronounce his last name that way, he, it's, a, it's a shame. We'll fight Not Brad Malarkey, but but it it sounds like Malarkey. It's spelled again, spelled a little differently, but I don't know how else you'd pronounce M-M-U-L-L, that. M U L L, but yeah. Uh, Twelve and two, bleep making his UFC debut. He is from Central Coast, New South Wales, so another Australian name to fill yeah. up the card. On a four-fight winning streak, has a lost Alexander Volkanovsky on his record. Brad uh, Riddell is his opponent, who is from New Zealand. <laughs> Uh, six and one on a three-fight winning streak as well. I'll go with Malarkey, but that one could. You know, that's one of those that uh, don't know enough about either guy to make a deep analysis. Um, Ji Yun Kim is back in action after losing to Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, she's gone two and two in the UFC, actually. Uh, she's fighting Nadia Kasim, who I believe dropped her UFC debut, if memory serves. Yeah, to Montana De La Rosa. Oh, sorry, that wasn't her debut. Uh, she beat Alex Chambers and then lost to Montana De La Rosa. Very surprising set of prelims. Yeah, this is a very local, like, stack the card with the local prelims. It's a very, prelim. it's a very like, regional set of prelims. And I mean... Yeah. I mean... Outstanding main event. Don't get me wrong. Good co-main event. Um, there's one more fight. Hang on. There's Khalid Taha and Bruno Silva. Uh, Silva. Um, Taha has fought in the UFC a couple of times. He's 13 and two overall. Yeah, one and one in the UFC. Uh, put a beating on Boston Salmon's last fight. That was a German fighter. And Bruno Silva, a Brazilian, who is making his UFC debut. Is he? Hang on. I, I feel like he's been in the UFC before. No, he fought on the uh, Brazilian Tough, but I don't think he ever made it to the UFC. I'm probably confusing him with a different Bruno Silva, in all honesty. Uh, I'm going to go with Taha there. Yeah. Not the worst. I mean, I'm just surprised they couldn't get like some some other names in there. On the undercard side. Uh, if they, I mean, it's an outstanding main event, and they still might sell out a 56,000-seat stadium. Yeah, that, so. This is one of the fights I'm, I've been looking forward to since it was announced as a possibility. This is That main event is absolutely spectacular. I am deeply looking forward to that. It just seems like we could have maybe seen a few more fringe top 15 talents on the underpart, you know? I don't disagree. I don't know what, I don't know if just no one was able or had different timing issues or the UFC wanted to stack other cards. I couldn't tell you. Um, I mean, there there is 245. It just seems like with the amount of fighters UFC has under contract, there are some other uh, decent guys they could have gotten on this undercard. But that's just my opinion. Like, um... Look, they had to fill out UFC Mexico and UFC Denmark over the last two weeks. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Denmark had... It seemed like Denmark had some more solid veterans on that undercard by comparison to this one. That's probably true. Because, I mean, look, a fight like, um... 
like Nicholas Dahl, you know, the, those Roundtree, Dalby, Kutalaba type fights is kind of what I mean. Uh, there's one other gentleman who I'm trying to think of. Dariush. What is Dariush up to right now? He had a fight recently, I think, didn't he? In, in March. So I feel like he's over. Okay. He's fighting in October, but not this card. He's fighting Frank Kamachev. What I mean that's, that's a pretty good fight, actually. What I mean is a guy like Dariush, I feel like a guy like guys at Dariush is like they should have a few more guys, not maybe not Dariush, but like Dariush, you know what I mean? I do. Like Dariush, I don't think he's rent he's uh like Dariush used to be solidly in the top ten, right? Right now he's not ranked. But Dariush another win, he probably could be ranked, don't you think? Eh, lightweight. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But Depends I mean, on, I don't think Frank. I don't think a win over Camacho will get him ranked. But he's not him. Sweet him being back in the top fifteen is not outside the realm of possibility. Okay, because like he's won his last two, and he he hasn't lost a lot in the, in his UFC career. Um, I not mean, really. Lost to, okay, so he lost to Alex, Alexander Hernandez. That really derailed him. Who's number 13 right now. Um, and where is Alex Hernandez right now? Uh, he lost the... I think he... Have we seen him since the Cerrone fight? Um, he... Yes, he he, he beat Trinaldo. In oh, July. yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that fight. Okay, so he beat... By, by decision, though. Um, and that was... It was on the main card, but it was, uh, it was ES. Okay, so it was ES. I'm just saying we need more, like, outside the top 10 guys for this undercard, is I think what would have helped it. But that's just my opinion. Um, just in terms of watchability and, you know, having a few more higher level guys, uh, for the undercard, um, I mean, the top two fights are great. Don't get me wrong. And I want to see those fights. It's just, you know, spice it up a little bit more because uh, it is in a stadium. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, again, if something happens to that main event. Yeah, because, like, I hope they I hope they have a backup in mind. Because, look. I don't know who or what it would be. Just what we've been dealing with with Whitaker, it seems like a good idea. Yeah, I... They, I don't even know who or what they would uh, call in for this one because Romero and Costa just fought and had a fairly hellacious battle. Let's see, uh, Gastel, uh, Gastelum is scheduled to fight Darren Till already. I think if something happened here, they would just have. I mean, it, it's tough because it's a stadium show. What would you do? Yeah, I, I don't know. They would have to. I would assume they would try to still get one of the, at least one of those guys to fight. Um, I don't even know who they would call. I, I doubt Weidman could do it. Uh, Weidman's Weidman's, uh, working on his fight with Reyes coming up at two Oh five. Uriah Hall. Um, He had a fight (laughs) recently, but yeah, Yeah, that's what I, but I mean, I don't think he took a lot of damage in that fight. So he might be in shape reasonably. Um, I I don't know what would happen. Yeah, there, 
they're putting a tremendous amount of faith in that fight not that, falling through. This this is my point. This is why I think you should have had like you should have put a couple more decent like middleweight fighters on this card, don't you think? That's uh, what I would have tried to do. Um, Jacare, I think he's not even fighting at middleweight anymore. Nope. He's gonna, he's going to fight Jan Blahovich up at light heavyweight. Yeah, They'd probably have to call Jared Cannonier. I mean, which does, of course, bring up the question of if he could even make weight on really short could notice. He, could he get cleared in that amount of time? Could he make weight in that amount? Because he 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 didn't look he didn't look like he took a lot of damage last night. But I think he, no, he didn't. Like he looked he like he looked okay. I don't know if he if he's going to have a medical suspension or not. Um, I, I don't know. It's tough. So, Robert Whitaker and Adesanya, I'm praying for you guys. Yeah, if so, nothing praying. better happened to either of those guys. Because I don't know, I don't know what you would do. Because, I mean, if something yeah. happened to one guy, I'm sure the UFC would scramble. Paulo Costa, would Paulo Costa be ready to go? Could they have, like... Is I don't know that I I don't know that A Costa could make weight on a truncated timetable yeah. and B again his fight with Romero was like if I'm Dana White or if I'm whoever and or if I'm one of the matchmakers I'm calling up saying hey Paulo Costa Paulo Costa's manager can you have him you know be ready just in case we'll pay him I think it's even worth paying six figures for Robert as crazy as that sounds because there's too much on, there's too much on the line here. This is a stadium show. I mean, think what would the optics look look like if you lost your main event and you lost a decent title fight for this main event? It would be terrible from from a perception standpoint, would it not? Oh yeah, it would be Again, if that if that fight falls through, that is a catastrophic situation. So again, it's just my opinion. You want to have a backup you want to have a backup on hand because Volkanovski, they paid him to make weight and to be ready as the backup for Holloway uh, Edger. Did you know that? I did. So they paid for, yeah, they paid for him to be there to make, he weighed in. Like when they had the official weigh-ins, he made, he showed up and weighed 145. And I think they did that for uh, Usman uh, had, had that too recently before he won the title. They might have had a backup for Woodley and Usman. I'd have to double. I'd have to double check. Yeah, there, it's happened in the past, and especially on a card like there have been cards in the past where you have a genuinely great main event. Usman was the backup for UFC 228. Well, that was it. Yeah. So, I I totally support the idea of UFC having backups. Yeah, it, it's I a it's smart so policy. I considering the way in the last just in the last 10 years, when you look at the number of big fights that have fallen apart at the last minute, I think it's a good idea to, to figure it out, even if it means losing a bit of money, because think of all the, the, the lost money and, and just the monumental problems that go along with trying to scramble to replace a fight. It's I mean, in all, in all seriousness, there's nothing else holding this fight card together apart from that main event. Because 
I'm sure if a fight fell apart, they could make some sort of deal with the management teams of either Whitaker or Adesanya to put something together at the last minute. I'm sure they could make it worth their while some some way, somehow. So I think if everyone's agreeable to it, I'm saying call up Paulo Costa right now to see if he's ready and if he can make weight, just in case. And pay him up and pay him like Here's your pot of gold for doing that for us. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just insurance, which no yeah. one likes until you need. Yeah, it's like you don't want you don't want insurance until you need it. You know, I mean, I've done worse things than pay fifty dollars a year for my AAA membership. It's not because I have used AAA. I have used it from time to time. Yeah. So. But again, if something happens to that main event, that's a thin card beyond that. That's a, I mean, because I look, due respect to Iaquinta and Hooker, you, I don't think you can main event a pay per view with that fight. Um, I, I just don't. Costa would be a, if he was an actual, an official backup, and something happened, he would be a, he would be a reasonable backup, I think, for that yeah. card. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he is, he is in all likelihood the next contender. Yeah, that's what I mean here. So, all right, I think we can move on from there. So we had some news and matchups that got announced. Yeah, let's start with UFC 245, which got its official, I believe this will be the main event. Okay. Uh, the welterweight title fight between champion Kamaru Usman and former interim champion Colby Covington is set. UFC 245 in Vegas in December, I believe. I, I'm, sh I'm a little bit surprised it took us this long to get here. This is the only fight to make, given the principles well, well, involved. They, wanted, they tried to do it for 244, but it fell apart, and we ended up getting the BMF. We ended up getting the BMF uh, title. I, you so. know, as this as that saga played out, I'm more inclined to believe. Kind of what, uh, I think it was Colby who might have mentioned it, that Usman was just unwilling to fight on UFC 244. I don't know why that might be. Why, would he, why would he not want to fight at Madison Square Garden? I don't know. That Again, I'm not him. I don't know if he's got some minor injury that he's not going to be ready to fight by then. I don't know if he just... I mean, it's not that much later. Maybe... I've, maybe I've, look, in three weeks can make... Three yeah. weeks can make all the difference. I don't know. I again, I genuinely don't know what might have inspired that. But and I don't know if this is true, but it was reported by UFC uh, by ESPN that UFC threatened to strip him of the title at one point for refusing to fight Masvidal. Yeah, they've. I imagine. I imagine they have threatened to strip every champion at some point or another. <laughs> um. But look, look it, it's from, the, this is from ESPN. The UFC has not announced it yet. Uh, it's no, not on they, the UFC website. So it's only... I imagine they'll probably... I imagine the UFC will do their big announcement uh, on the pay-per-view uh, on 243. Look, that's kind, that's the kind of thing they like to do. It's a pretty... I'd say it's a pretty good bet. But it's still technically unofficial. But this looks like the fight right now. 
Yeah, every major news outlet has announced that's been official and is signed. The UFC just hasn't announced it yet. So hope it is, I hope it is signed. Uh, it's the only fight to make right now. It, I mean, if you're not going with if you're not going with Covington as the next title well, challenger, well, because well, now. Now it is the fight. Now that Masvidal's been matched up with Diaz, basically. Yeah, this, one, this one, only he was the only other viable contender in this. Yeah. Match. Once Masvidal was off the board, this is it. It's it's Colby and it's Usman, and that those are the only two guys. That's all you got left. Um, I like. I mean, I still like Usman for that fight. To be to be frank, I at the moment am leaning towards him as well, but. I like Usman against Masvidal too, for that matter. I'm slight. I don't know that one. I have to really think about for different reasons than I have to really consider Covington and Usman. Masvidal can't win decisions. Uh, you weather fair. the storm. If you weather the storm against him, you're good. You're- it's a it's a very interesting fight because Masvidal can absolutely wrestle his backside off. Usman is, while a powerful striker, not a very refined one, and Usman is also deeply reliant on getting you to the fence. And if you're in open space, Usman is a completely different fighter than he is when your back is to the cage. Uh, Neither Covington or Usman are big finishers. No, this one's probably going the distance. I think they each have, like, they might have three finishes three or four finishes in their entire UFC runs combined. I just hope they don't do something stupid in the pre-fight build. <laughs> oh, they will. I mean, I imagine there's going to be some stupidity, but just don't, like, put a limit on the stupidity. Like, don't start a brawl or some nonsense, you know? Again, that fight, I think, is going to come down to who it, whose back is to the fence more than anything else. Because Kamaru Usman, again, powerful striker, but not a very good one. The, in fact, the vast majority of his work is done on the mat. Covington's not a high-level striker either, I would say, Robert. But it depends. Some of that depends on what you mean by high-level. Well, he's, uh, he's, not, he's not a terribly slick striker. I think he's striker. good for MMA, but he's not like what I would call an elite. Like, no, me, no, he, he's, he's not, not like, going into any of the disparate striking skills and winning... Like, he's not going to start boxing and start winning. That's just not a thing. Like, I think he's good at mixing it up and transitioning. But he's more. But he's also more of a wrestler grinder, and I think Kamari is better at that than him. Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing about that. Because he is. Again, they're both wrestlers. That is their base for both of these guys. Right. But Colby doesn't strike on the ground, really. It's a bizarre thing. In no small part because I don't think he favors control positions so much as repeated mat returns when he's engaged in his wrestling exchanges, whereas Usman wants to control you and then ground and pound. Uh, if you look at their last two fights, um, Usman and uh, Woodley, actually, I think was Usman's last fight. Um, of the, like, 200 strikes that Usman throws over the course of that fight, which is kind of crazy. I think like 90 plus percent of them are on the mat. By contrast, if you look at um, Covington's last fight, the Lawler fight, I don't think Covington was a, was credited with a single strike on the ground. All of his striking was done on the feet. 
there's a really odd kind of dichotomy there between the two where they are wrestlers, but where does each of them do their work when they're doing damage? I've never seen Covington actually strike on his feet, though, in that fight that I can recall. What, the Lawler fight? Yeah. The entire fourth round. That's what I, that's what I mean. When, when did we ever see him use his, his stand-up game that much before that fight? I don't think we have. Uh, uh, the Maya fight is entirely on the feet. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't remember, I, I don't remember well, that the, being all it's that. Not, it's, it's not an engaging fight, but he, he actively stops Maya from taking him down and beats him up on the feet for rounds two and three. That's how that uh, fight being pretty boring. Again, not a terribly engaging fight. They're both busted up and bloodied by the end of it. uh, The Dos Anjos fight, even. Um, Colby doesn't really strike in the clinch in that uh, strike on the ground in that fight. There was like a lot of stalling on the fence. Just a lot. lot, There's a lot of fence fighting in that fight. That is where ninety percent of that fight takes place. Kind of put Dos Anjos just not doing much of anything in that one. It, I, remember, again, I remember there just wasn't a lot of activity in that fight in general. And I didn't you score that fight for Dishonest? I did. Yeah. <laughs> and in fairness, oh. I, I have to, I'll have to rewatch it to see if I really stand by that. But there's at least one of the rounds that I gave to Dishonest that I do, in fact, stand by. Just because there wasn't a ton of activity. Yeah, I still like, I mean, all, I mean, they are, in a lot of ways, they're very similar fighters, but. Yeah, there's there's some de- there's some definite similarities, but there's also again I think that key difference for me the fact that Usman where does you know, where does Usman do his work he does his work on top of you pounding you that's where he that's where that's his kind of work gets I'm done favor- I, and that's kind of why I'm favoring him here. Both yeah. guys have good gas tanks. We know they can go. Colby's gas tank is absurd. I mean, Usman. It is straight up absurd. But so is Usman's. Usman went five rounds with Tyron Woodley. He's a cardio freak, too. Eh, I'm not sure I'd give Woodley cardio freak status. I mean... Not not bad cardio by any stretch of the imagination. But Colby, you know, throwing 500 punches at Robbie Lawler over five rounds is... I really cannot stress this enough to anyone out there who might be going, oh, that's just 100 punches every five minutes. Did, did Usman look tired to you against Woodley or Dos Anjos? Didn't look like it to me. No. Well, again, it's also easier to maintain cardio when you're the one dictating everything. That, well, the thing is, I feel like if anyone can match Covington's cardio game, it's, it's Usman. I think he will if he, again... It, when you're on offense, it's le- it's actually less draining when you're the, when you're fighting in a style that you are accustomed to fighting. I feel like Usman will be able to do that here. So I I am I am very curious to how that fight plays out. I'm curious yeah. how the clinch plays out. I'm curious because each of the I have no doubt each of them is going to get uh, Usman has not yet been taken down in the UFC. I just I, hope neither guy does something stupid to make this fight fall apart. I, I right now I kind of lean towards Usman, but if Covington can anti wrestle, back him up, and just do what he does striking, I mean, the longer this fight stays on the feet, the more it favors Covington. I think so. It, it's a great fight. That cr- all of the pre-fight talk is going to be just the worst you've ever heard outside of like Tito Ortiz and Alberto Del Rio. If these matchups stay together, this is one of the best cards of the year. 
245 is a stacked card. Um, that is an absurdly here's stacked here's card. Something weird. Here's something weird, though. Um, in the story, for, this could have just been, um, let's see. An er- uh, this could have been an error by Okamoto uh, and Hawani, who are the credited uh, writers of the article. But they're saying Jermaine uh, Durandame versus Amanda New. Okay, they, co- they already corrected it. The other day when I did the write-up on this story, it said women's featherweight title when it's Bantamweight. So we have Amanda Nunez, the, the dual champion, uh, defending against Jermaine Durandame for the women. That fight, that fight's going to fly under the radar for a lot of reasons because a lot of people just don't like Jermaine Duran to me. Not saying I blame you, mind you. But that's a that is, and I know Amanda already beat her. But we want to be honest with you. you I, I mean, uh, I would have done it at featherweight just so Amanda could, you know, be the first dual champ to defend both belts while holding both belts. But that's just me. Uh, Daniel Cormier is the first one. Cormier is the no, first no, no. One. Cormier is the first one to have defended both titles he held. He never defended the light heavyweight title while holding both titles. Okay, so hold defend. Hold and defend both is what yes. you're saying. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It's a minor distinction, it's but it's, it's a, a minor distinction. Look, people well, care about that kind of crap. Um, I don't know why. Holloway versus Vol- Volkanovski, outstanding. Tremendous you know, fight. You know, Tremendous I wanted this fight. I wanted that fight months ago. Wanted that rather than the Edgar fight. I know some of the timing wound up not quite working out in some respects, and Volkanovski had that horrible infection in his foot. But just like, but just like Holloway Volk, um, excuse me, just like the middleweight fight at two forty three, two of the the best middleweights in the world. I think these two men are the two top featherweights in the world right now. Yeah, I think this is number one and number two, and yeah, so. I am very interested to see that fight. They both ask very relevant questions of each yep. other. A great, great fight, and Covington Usman as your presumptive main event. That's my presumption at the moment. That's absurd. That is an absurdly stacked card. Yeah, I just, I mean, provided everything holds together. Holloway that's a, seems, look, that's a card with built-in fail-safes, if nothing else. True, but Holloway seems to be over the hump now, you know? And, um, man, Volkanovski is, is such a tough matchup, so. Volkanovski is a stud. Like, that's I mean, a great fight. So is, so is Holloway, too, though. I mean, Holloway's on this amazing... I mean, he's been on quite a journey for a while. And uh, I mean, his, Yeah, his only loss in the last, like, five years was moving up to lightweight and, he, and fighting Dustin Poirier, of all people. 28 years old. It's mind-boggling. It really is. In many ways, it's sort, it almost kind of reminds me of Anthony Pettis when he became champion in the run we thought he was going to have. Yeah. Yeah. But Holloway, thankfully, to this point yet, has not flamed out the way Pettis did. No, that's what I mean. He like similar age, but he's he was he was able to, and he did have the thing with Poirier. But I mean, he was moving up in weight, fighting bigger guys. Um, and a guy who's I think Poirier is just a bad stylistic matchup for him. Yeah, uh, looked outstanding against Frankie, and seems to be he seems to be comfortable fighting at featherweight again so i hope it stays that way so but um, i hope i hope max hope fights I, wherever he wants to fight that's really all there is to that i mean 
I'm leaning toward Holloway mainly because it's Holloway, but Volkanovski is an incredible challenge for him. He yeah, poses I, a lot of a lot of problems. Again, I at this point I need a concrete reason to pick against Max Holloway, and I don't have that. That said, again, I can see Volkanovski winning this fight, okay. and great is a great great fight. All three of those fights are really really good. Germ- you know. Everyone's going to pick Amanda Nunes, including me. She's going to be a heavy favorite. The lo- If that fight stays striking, stays on the feet, I'm not saying Amanda can't beat her in the stand-up affair, but it, a lot of us, again, throw me into this group, we tend to diminish Durandamy's actual abilities because of how her career has been conducted and some of the things she's done outside the cage. Uh, I imagine Nunez will fight to get that to the ground again because that's where she beat her the first time and where she holds the largest advantage. But great, great trio of fights. I mean, it's so it's so weird how Andami's career has worked out. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Like I <laughs> thought she, when she refused to fight Cyborg, I thought she was committing career suicide. She certainly put it in a coma for a little bit. I mean. I'm like, why not just fight Cyborg? Like, what? I mean, yeah, it's Cyborg, but I mean, you're gu- you're guaranteed to at least get a good payout at, as of that. I, I, I just didn't get. I didn't get it. You know. I mean, yeah. Look, it's a dangerous fight, but, but it's also the highest profile fight you're going to get. But just, but just by virtue of her doing that, I mean, look. She's she's now fighting for a UFC title again on one of the biggest cards of the year against the dual champion. Yep. Who who's holding a title she technically never even lost in the first place. Yep. I mean, So she has a, it is a crazy sport, man. It is, is just insane. This is this is crazy. All right, uh Not move on to win, but I mean it's still crazy. It is. All right, moving on, we have our rematch for uh, Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez. The UFC announced that will be set for the UFC on ESPN 6 card. This is the one in Boston later this year, headlined by uh, headlined by Dominic Reyes and Chris Weidman. This is Good Weidman's night. light heavyweight debut. Yeah. Get a do-over. I'm fine with I'm fine with the do-over there. But if, if something ridiculous happens again, that's it. Like, this is your one. This is your one mulligan, basically. Yeah, we're trying this fight again. It'll only be three rounds now. It's a mul- It's a mul- It's an MMA mulligan. Yeah. Um. That. So that's on that card. Eh, I don't know. I think I leaned towards Stevens the first time. Probably lean towards him again. Um, I think the three-round format definitely does help Yair's case, though. So, we'll see. Hopefully nothing else crazy happens. Um, Also, in the fight announcement vein of things, the UFC's... I believe it's their debut in Busan, South Korea. uh, Their last card of the year has its main event. Two former title challengers, the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, will fight Brian Ortega in the main event of that card. Uh... Jung on as the main event for this card is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, he's, I believe, the most famous Korean fighter 
that they have, maybe the most popular, if not you know, out and out famous. Uh, this is a very relevant fight. This is Ortega's first fight back since the Holloway fight. It's a dangerous fight. Korean Zombie is a is a good when he stays disciplined. He's a really dangerous fighter. He has good counters, strong punches, well rounded. Ortega power, you know, good good power. Apparently, he's not eating Jack in the Box anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's apparently the reason he lost. Uh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'd blame Jack in the box for why you lost to Max Holloway, but okay. He does. Fair. I mean, look, if he ate it like the day before, okay, maybe it might have been a factor. But <laughs> other than that. It's a, fun, it's a fun matchup. I like it. Really really good matchup. I tend to favor Ortega, but I, you know, I, th- I think I'd probably favor Ortega over okay. everyone that isn't Holloway and Volkanovski. I mean, right is now. that is that going to be the main event for Busan? I believe that's what they've announced. See, if that if that stays together, that's an outstanding main event for a UFC, uh, an ESPN Plus card for UFC. Yeah, really good main event. And again, it's, it's better main events, you know, for an international card. Yeah, that will be December twenty first. Love it. Uh, I think it's their first time to Busan. They've been to South Korea before. Right. Right. I think you're right. Yeah, this is their first time in that particular city. Only their second fight in South Korea, huh? Um, yeah, they did, oh, yeah, they did the Henderson-Mosfidel card there because uh, Benson Henderson's mother is I think it's Korean Zombie's first time fighting in his home country for the UFC, though. So Under the UFC banner, I'm almost, UFC, I'm almost certain. Yeah, definitely under the UFC banner. He's fought, he, has, he hasn't fought in South Korea since uh, 2008. Yeah, so uh, good for him if he finally gets to fight in the UFC uh, in South Korea. Um, yeah, that'll be... Yeah, He last fought in the city of Busan, actually. His second and third professional fights were there back in 2007. Man, then he fought he, three times there in, in 2008, and then it's been fight, in Japan. That fight with Lennon Garcia in the WEC happened in April 2010. I feel very old, and he still should have won that fight. <laughs> Bad scoring. Because Leonard Garcia. That was sort of where, I mean, uh, he was known as Korean Zombie beforehand, but that was really our first introduction to the Korean Zombie in the U.S. Uh, uh, that yeah. that same card apparently also has a light heavyweight fight between Vulcan Uzdemir and Alexander Rakich, which is a good fight. Good fight. Especially for light heavyweight being... In the state, we take in. we take fights at light heavyweight that we can get excited about wherever we can find them. I mean, Rakich is a I mean he's a decent prospect right now, so this is a nice step up in competition for him. I like it, so we'll see what he can do against Uzdemir. Good fight. Uh, uh, Cormier uh, was on uh, Ariel Hawani's show. Uh, he's saying win or lose against Miocic in if. They're planning to do the trilogy fight. He's saying the next one will be the last one. So that 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 was sort of we knew about this fight last week that the UFC was looking to put this fight together. Cormier is saying this will be his last fight, but we'll see. So, however much value you wish to you wish to ascribe his word as far as that goes, um, that fight would have to wait anyway because Miocic is dealing with a retina injury. Uh. 
Um, look, I'm okay with that fight. I'm okay with the trilogy. They've finished each other. Uh, yeah. There's not really another... Again, we mentioned it last time. There's not... Especially if Cormier is going to... Or excuse me, if Miocic is going to be out for the rest of 2019. I'm okay... And look, if Cormier does win and then retire... I'm, I mean, we talked about this last week a little bit. You know, what do you do? You know, if the UFC has this much time to get to prepare for that potential scenario and they don't come up with a viable answer at this point, that's on them. And I mean, if Cormier were to win and retire, he would just have to relinquish the belt and you'd have uh, a vacant title uh, fight. You'd have two guys fight for the vacant belt. And okay, if you can't come up with a decent fight between now and then, then, again, at this point, I think that's on the UFC. So, yeah. I'm okay with it. it they had, Their first fight was good for as long as it lasted. Their second fight was good. I'm okay with it if, Cor- if Cormier means it in this case. I, The way he talked about it, I think, the way he said, you know, if I lose to him again, then, that's just, then it's just meant to be and I can walk away. You know, if, if, he, you, if he means that, I, I can respect that and I can agree with that. And you know, in all and in fairness to his position, if you're one and one with a guy, and you knocked him out the first time, and which is what happened, and you just want to know, okay, I I can't leave this. It, it will nag me for the rest of my life if I leave this at one and one, and if I lose the second time, then okay, I just I can live with it. Right. I can ex- I can understand that mindset and. Again, I don't want to see Cormier hang on too long because I don't want to see anybody hang on too long, and we'll talk about that again in just a second. But if that's the direction they want to go and they can put it together, I am completely okay with that fight. But speaking of hanging on too long, um, I mentioned last week, I think, or a couple of weeks ago, that when Dana White said BJ Penn's done, that there could be a nudely legal situation arise well, the UFC decided to get around that. Uh, this week they announced they have released BJ Penn from his UFC contract. BJ Penn now a free agent. I imagine in the next three to four weeks he will announce as having signed somewhere. Scott Coker, please do not sign BJ Penn. Oh, please. Of course he's going to. Like He put on Hoist Gracie versus Ken Shamrock. Please don't. Put on Dada 5000 and Kimbo Slice. I mean... Just, just please don't. Look, he's Um, going to. It's going to be awful, but he's going to do it. Uh, I'm not even going to say like this was the right thing. I think it's the only option they have. Like again, if BJ Penn, I mean, I mean, look, BJ Penn. Yes, it is BJ Penn, but you have to wash your hands of him. And quite frankly, the UFC. I don't, I don't know. Again, this is all they can do. If BJ Penn wants to fight and can get cleared. I, 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 how can he even really even get cleared? How, how does he even get cleared at this point? You would have to talk with the athletic commission that would be granting him a license. That's That's all I can say. How is he not even in jail? I am unsure about that as, as well, but I mean, look, if neither guy wants to press charges after a bar fight... 
Does he even have laws in Hawaii? I mean, like, what is like? I, I mean, hang, in all seriousness, if two guys get into a bar fight, neither one really wants to press charges. Hey, that's what happens sometimes. But I, I mean, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't the city, wouldn't the government press charges at least? It's at their discretion, and here's the other. I mean, if neither party wants to file them, and it's on video. Yeah, again, I'm not saying they couldn't charge him and have evidence, but at that point, there's a there is an argument that you're just wasting taxpayer money if neither guy is going to get behind it. Yes, this was. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with the argument, but it's there. As much as I hate to say it, Penn seems to be on a very self-destructive path. I mean, I could be wrong, but and if he's going to stay on this path, you know, the UFC is better off just washing their hands of him. I, as, as much as I hate to say it, but I mean, and look, I, I, mean, I this I, is all they can do. If this is legally all they can do, if they don't want to book him, job to rehabilitate, rehabilitate, and help BJ Penn. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not. It's not their job, and it's it sounds, on- like they were, it sounds like they were willing to have BJ Penn in an ambassador role, but he wanted to fight, even though it was over. It has and, been for him for a long time. Yeah, and again, the reality is, if he if he wants to fight and can get cleared to fight, the UFC has to offer him fights or release him. They released I him. I got the sense that after that third fight with Frankie, like. The UFC was like on board with having him like, you know, open up UFC gyms in Hawaii and have like kind of a yeah, you know, they up- they tried to usher him out the door. They really did. But it but it made sense to do that and I understand like Penn, you know, when you have that urge inside you and you need to get it out, but I mean you can't you can't you can't help cure guys of that. You know, it's not the UFC's job to do that. And Penn is letting it hurt those and, and, and hurt himself. I I don't, I I don't know what, I don't know what else to say here, Robert. I, I, again, at this point, I don't know what you can say about BJ Penn that hasn't already been said. It's a sad, I just don't. Um, all right. Last thing I had on my list that I wanted to talk, to okay. touch on very briefly. Um, the parent company of the UFC, this is Endeavor, had been announcing they wanted to go public. They had initially set up an IPO, an initial public offering, for, I forget the date. My apologies. I kn- they had scheduled it, and they have now withdrawn it. Uh, there was just, apparently interest was lower than what they wanted. They wanted something in the neighborhood of $30 a share uh, for the IPO. And they were apparently even, uh, they were going to get something like 20, I think 2025 was kind of the the loose feel. Now that, you know, for those of you not in the finance world, that may sound, you may not know what that represents. That, a drop of $10 per share in stock can represent, especially for something as large as Endeavor, a significant financial hit um i think in this instance that was going to be something to the tune of 80 to 100 million dollars potentially of like lost rev of lost income kind of thing wwe is seventy-one twenty a share now 
$71. Hey, remember a few years ago when their stock dipped low and those of us with brains said, hey, you should buy now? Isn't it, I mean, that's generally the idea for, for, for most companies, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Um, so they have withdrawn their... Company that's been big, buy, like buy it when it, you can get it like pennies on the dollar. Yeah, buy low. Let wait for it to go back up, especially something some like Apple, I bought some Apple stocks when it dropped. Like um it can sit like it dropped like by half, basically. Yeah, I I kinda remember that actually. Yeah. Smarter look, when when a proven market when a proven force within the market drops, unless you are genuinely concerned about the viability of the company going forward, it's a good idea that's a good time to buy. You know, Apple, t- I think, I mean, Apple took a dip when Steve Jobs died. People weren't sure so what was going to happen. Do you, think, do you think William Morris, Endeavor, um, IMG will ever pursue this uh, IPO again? Yeah, I think they're going to try again. I think they're concerned about the current state of the market. And here's the reality of this. We're coming up on an election year in 2020. Right. The market always depresses somewhat artificially in national election years here in the United States, just due to generalized uncertainty. Cool. That, that's just a general trend. I, I mean, I remember, you know, after Trump won, everyone claimed that the sky was falling and the markets dipped and everyone with, a, with you know, half a brain cell functioning went, ooh, good time to buy. Because, hey, the financial institution is not dependent on the presidency, you bunch of morons. But it's the, always... It's always pearl clutching, and then yeah, and then yeah, it that, that happens a lot. I in Endeavor's case, part of their problem is how leveraged they are. They have a lot of assets, but they have a lot of debt. <laughs> so while they might have, you know, I let me be clear. I am throwing out random numbers for the sake of illus- point illustration, rather than anything approximating financial knowledge of the of the group in question. Okay. So say you have $100 million, and that's your, I don't know, that, that's the amount of funds at your disposal. That's a lot of money by any right. stretch of the imagination. But if you also, at the same time that you have $100 million, say you have, uh, again, if you have property, if you have principles you have to pay out, if you have debt that is borrowed, if you have money that is borrowed against the principal, if, and it, and again, that's kind of the thing about Endeavor right now. While they have a while they have a fair bit of capital, and they have again a lot of properties at their disposal, some of which are again some of which are quite pro- again they own the the UFC is a profitable entity. They took on a lot of debt to do that, by the way. And so I mean that deal was so bad. Federal regulators advised them not to take it. That's how bad of a deal it was in terms of debt to asset management. And apparently that's not a unique situation. Like the UFC is not the only entity owned by them that they wound up again leveraging themselves to acquire. And that kind of leverage and that kind of just generalized financial situation and combined with some again, kind of the generalized market depression right now, which is not to say we're in a depression, but the markets, you know, are they up, are they down kind of thing? They're a little bit more on the downside at the moment. It just did not create the most hospitable of environments. And even under the best case scenario, I'm not in, again, as leveraged as they are right now, they're going to, they might just have a hard time going forward with that. So I have a question since you seem to understand this a lot more than I do. 
I will do the best I can to answer. How long, approximately how long do you think it would take for uh, WMEING to get out of the debt from the, the Zufa UFC purchase? Oh, I forget the, I forget the number. I looked it up at one point because um, they're paying a, they're paying a significant interest rate on that. In fact, but they're um, getting money from ESPN and Disney for their content. So, like, I know that they they don't get it all in a lump sum, but like, I believe that I offset. The, the uh, I believe, and again, I I'm, I can't remember the specific numbers, so my apologies. But I looked up how much they were paying in interest at one point on that deal, and it was large. They had a lot. They had a large interest payment. The Intake from ESPN will offset the interest payment, I believe. Again, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head. I feel like whoever based on the specific numbers. I feel like whoever controls the debt for this deal is like going to make out like a bandit. Look, money, lending money is big business. It always has been. And I need to get a piece. I need to get a piece of this lending business to lend people to buy. MMA organization or WWE or AEW or something. Uh, look, it's, I mean, that's what pawn shops are built on. The act of pawning is a money lending transaction. Right. And I mean, that's what investment banks are. They lend money. Uh, I, I don't want to get into the, I am not knowledgeable enough to talk with any degree of real authority or consistency on the financial institutions in play. The UFC seems to be pretty stable at the moment. You yeah, would- U- UFC as a the UFC in and of itself is at the moment quite stable. They have st- they have diversified their income stream, so they're not as dependent on pay per view as they were six years ago. Even right, they've but got television but- rights. They've- right, they 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 got very good TV deals going right now. It seems like that it would not be catastrophic to get this debt paid off at least from the outset. Well, the UFC didn't take on the debt. Right. <laughs> like, right. the UFC for, has for issues... For WME to make... to, to get revenue and income... Some to, of that some of that will depend on how much... you know, how, however much that, you know, ESPN, Disney, for you know, whatever, however much they pay the UFC, or they pay per quarter, how much of that goes to the UFC? How much of that goes to Endeavor? The UF, Endeavor has the controlling interest in the UFC, but there's other, there are other like partial owners, so to speak. I mean, the Fertitas still have a very small percentage, I think. Dana still has a small percentage. But like they, they, but WME, like they're also a talent agency. So it, it seems like they shouldn't be in debt for long unless, unless they really overextended themselves here. Well, again, it it wasn't the UFC is not their only property. It's not the only property they went in debt to acquire. Pretty much anyone who buys a or you know acquires some kind of major organization like that goes in debt to do it. That's kind of just how it's done, for better and for worse. So WME, they didn't have like a bank vault that says okay. they did not. They did not take four billion dollars. To the Fertitta brothers and write them a check. They. Why would you not want to do that? Because they didn't have four billion dollars. Do you think Disney does not have however much they paid for 
20th Century Fox. Well, no, no, we're talking about W about Endeavor, not Disney. Okay, but but hype, but but for the Di the Disney just made this deal to acquire 20th Century Fox that only was recently completed. Well, right. okay, if you're Disney, you might if you are a corporation the size of Disney, you might be able to wholesale buy out something you want. Okay. Well, I don't know if Disney took on any debt for that deal, but they I don't imagine well different kinds of debt i they did some because of how they took on the properties i mean i think they're the ones who actually wound up losing money on dark phoenix kind of thing so right. some so again it some helps. of it's they own they own the they own the they own the studio now so that which course. also means they would have acquired any debt the studio had right so i don't know so again did they acquire debt in the aggregate, probably, did they go to a did they go to like Goldman Sachs and say, "Hi, we're Disney. We're buying up 20th Century Fox. We want you to underwrite our. We want you to underwrite the deal and facilitate. And you know, you lend us and say, you know, like like kind of like buying a card. You know, I'll okay. put down X amount of dollars. You put in the rest, and I'll pay you interest. And I'll pay you interest, and you know, I'll make payments to you until that's paid off. Uh, I don't know." But that's kind of what happened when Endeavor okay, acquired so the UFC. Going back to this, had had WME gone public, could that have sort of paid off a lot of those debts if if they had actually gone public? It that would depend almost entirely on what they were on the offering. Like that's where the that's where the specific number becomes deeply relevant. Okay. Because I don't know this to be true, but by way of example, let's say over enough again because over enough iterations. Stock trading at twenty dollars a share might make them, you know, might not help them. Thirty dollars a share might fix their problems, but getting your getting that getting that ten dollar increase in share value can be a significant problem. To and if you do go public and you get less, you're just in more trouble. So. And again, anyone who knows more about this than I do. Feel free to let me know where I'm wrong. I am happy to be corrected. So, anyway, that's that just... kind of annoyed me is Netflix is publicly traded, correct? I believe so. At least I believe and, they have a public component to that. And yet, I, we still don't know any of their numbers. I, I mean, in terms of their program. And that kind of weirds me out. I'm like, is that, is that, shouldn't the shareholders know? Uh, do you have share in Netflix? But if you're, I mean, I could. If you I, look, it's entirely possible that if you do, they will tell you, and you just have non-disclosure agreements in place where you can't tell anyone else. But they're publicly traded. Sure. But like WWE publicly announces their all their like income and revenue streams. Netflix will tell you how many people are subscribed to them, I believe. I believe that is public knowledge. Okay. Yeah. WWE is under no obligation to inform there's is to inform the general public what mat you know, what shows and what matches on the WWE network draw a lot of traffic. Now, here's my question. If you if WME were to go public, they would probably have to report the numbers for UFC, correct? Depending on the specifics of the arrangement between the UFC and Endeavor, there might be things that like 
are quasi-redacted kind of thing. Right. But by and large, yes. If they go public, they would they would be required to release number to release some of those numbers to the public. That would have to become public information. All right. So, do you think UFC would be skittish about numbers that would have to be publicly revealed at that point? I would assume so. I mean, they redacted significant. Por- there were portions of their like anti the the ongoing like antitrust thing they have. They're not in court right. They're not in trial. Say they're not in trial right now. There's some pre-trial hearings and motions being resolved at the moment, and they released a lot of information that we did not previously have. I think um, I can't remember if it's Josh Nash or Josh Gross over at Bloody Elbow who has like three or four excellent pieces detailing the financial information that was released by the UFC as part of that discovery process. Is it is this for like one of the individual fighters, or is this for the class action? Uh, this is for the class action. Right now, the judge is having to make a ruling about whether or not the fighters um, categorize as a class to file a class action suit, is what is I believe what's going on. Because if you're not part of a class, you can't file a class action suit. There's other, there are still other legal avenues that can be preceded. Uh, the system, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so yeah, do I imagine the UFC's a little skittish about that? Yeah. yeah, probably. Dana White can't run his mouth as much then. Right. Uh, so I imagine that is. But if that's what happens, you know, that's what happens. It's. Did you like the uh, the New York press conference for Diaz versus Masvidal? Didn't bother watching. I saw it. Look, I saw Jorge Masvidal dressed as Tony Montana, and he did not drop an F the Diaz brothers. Uh, lost opportunity. Uh, look, I saw a couple of people talking about it, and apparently the questions were just the dirt worst. I mean... Someone apparently asked Nate Diaz to respond as a vegan to claims that vegans aren't man- aren't like real men. Like, what the hell? Um, look, most of those are... Most of those things are dog and shows anyway, you know? Again, Masvidal coming out with a good visual, dressed as Tony Montana, the white suit, the red shirt, the red, you know, scarf in the pocket, the red pocket square. Nice visual. I kind of like that those two are not doing the same old stupid trash talk. They're not trash talking at all, which might be off-putting to some people. I'm looking forward to the fight. I mean, they got a good setting for it. They, you know, Masvidal was clearly willing to go along with parts of it. Diaz went along with it. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I've seen, I struggle to find reason to go out of my way to watch MMA press conferences, because if you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all, you know? But still interesting things can happen. They can. I'm just, I am prepared to miss watching them live to hear about them afterwards. Sure. Uh, That's all I have for this week. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. One more thing. Chris Cyborg is going to fight Julie Budd for the uh, Bellator featherweight title in January. So, um, Look, Bellator had their two events yesterday. They had the one in Dublin, I think headlined by Benson Henderson beating Miles Jury. They had the one after that that was... Oh, God. I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> um, 
look, Pitbull defeating Archuleta like that. Uh, that Pitbull brother, the featherweight, is a bad, bad man. It's a shame he's not in the UFC. Um, he's. I would love to see him fight the elite in the UFC. I really would. I think he'd be very competitive. Um, um, they also had like the Muchita Muchita Musasi rematch, which is a giant waste of everyone's time, as are most Musasi fights these days. To say nothing of Machida fights these days. Ugh. Uh, like you know, we hear so much about how these guys are getting paid by Bellator, but the disclosed payouts don't seem that much different than the UFC, to be honest. No, they don't, do they? I don't know. I mean, for the bigger for the bigger names. So well, they're also really. I will, I will say this: I would I would guarantee that the bigger names in Bellator make more sponsorship money than the ones in the UFC, just categorically. Right. Because they get paid to wear material in the cage, whereas the UFC fighters get a marginal nominal Reebok fee. But UFC fighters also, they can get sponsorships outside the cage, too. Sure. It's just a question of how val- of what anyone cares about what, any UFC, about what any fighter does when they're not fighting. I mean, apparently they do. It, it's so, oh, again, some of them do. Look, Connor gets paid a lot when he to endorse stuff. I imagine Khabib has a pretty good deal overseas. But I'm I not mean, saying I, it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Guys who take care of them for things and give them, give them and, and look, I, I, this is not a you know I, I'm not sitting here going you know oh woe is the UFC fighter in this instance necessarily. <laughs> but again, I would guarantee you that you know take Robert Whitaker. He's gonna make what's the champion fee for. Well, my my issue with the whole sponsorship thing is is before UFC kind of phased out the sponsorship deal, like fighters were saying like sponsorships are drying up and like it's not. Yeah, the, look, the whole sport took a downturn. It happens. Eh. I mean, again, there's positives and negatives much, to both sides. Yeah, I'm not. So here's my thing: how much how much are guys really making from their sponsorships in Bellator? I couldn't tell you. You'd have to ask them. I would just be willing to bet that again. Say someone, I mean, look, let's take Pitbull because I mentioned him earlier. If he went to, if he were to come into the UFC, he would be taking a loss in pay because he'd make the, what, thousand bucks that you make if you're in your first UFC fight for the Reebok, under the Reebok setup. I, I feel like Pitbull, you got, you got to give him a lot more. Okay, he'd have a, again, he'd have a decent, he'd have a much, he'd have a better contract than the average guy coming into the UFC. Absolutely. And whether or not he could negotiate the full on lost amount of wages from, him not being sponsored anymore is, I don't know. Again, maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. Who knows? But, you know, I'm someone, trying, you know, I'm I like mean, trying to look out, uh, up for, like, what Musa, like, what, like, a Musasi was dealing with. See if this is accurate. Again, uh, a, uh, okay. I would I would be fairly confident that Musasi makes more in Bellator than he did in the UFC. Well, just, uh, just overall disclosed pos- possible. We'll see. It looks sim- it looks sim- this is but this is with the Reebok. It's, it's a similar amount. So, but everyone always complains about the disclosed numbers. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. There's not really a 
consistent answer to be found because in no small part fighters uh, I also it also would not shock me at all if a few of them exaggerated how much they were getting in order to help kind of stick it to the UFC kind of deal. I don't know. It's I don't know if that's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. But. I'd honestly be surprised if it didn't happen. Like again, fighters going from a circumstance where they're unhappy to a circumstance where they are happy can make all the difference. I mean, well, look how Rampage, many. I got to be honest. Rampage through that whole deal with leaving UFC to go to Bellator and made himself look like an idiot. I mean, Rampage does that every Tuesday. I mean, even more of an idiot in that case. Yeah, and look, I'm not advocating for one system over the other. This is it's just kind of a generalized observation as far as that goes. Saying, I think I think it could be a good thing for everyone if UFC were to go public and we were to act and we were to actually know what the real numbers are. Some of it, yeah. Again, I would encourage I, people. I could see it benefiting the UFC as well, honestly. As crazy as that might sound. Uh, the numbers that have come out so far haven't benefited them tremendously. If it means they have to make adjustments, even if it means be- I think that could be a good thing to make it to just kind of readjust the industry. I mean, you can argue net positives for overall course correction to the generalized marketplace, sure. So again, we'll we'll know if slash when that happens. Um, yeah, Bellator. They also announced the next set of fighters for, uh, matchups for their featherweight Grand Prix that were done via selection based on the winners. So we know those um, coming out of the last couple of events. Uh, it's a good. Yeah, the featherweight Grand Prix had the, some of the best assemblage of talent Bellator has. It's just Bellator, so who cares? Kind of thing. Wow. There are there are some good fighters and some good fighters. Oh yeah, there. Look, Bellator has again. Uh, I believe it's Patricio Pitbull who's the now the double champion. He's I think bantamweight and featherweight. He's been, and he's been consistently good there for a long time. He's the best fighter, my opinion, best fighter in Bellator history. That guy. That guy is great. He is a phenomenal fighter. Would he fight his brother though? No, yeah. I don't think that. I don't think it's going to come up. Um, uh, look, Michael Chandler, great. Fu- Sorry, Patricio's, I think, featherweight and lightweight, not featherweight and bantamweight. To double check. Yeah, lightweight, because he knocked out Michael Chandler. Right. Michael Chandler, great fighter. Uh, there have been some very talented fighters that have come through Bellator. There are some very talented fighters there right now. I mean, again, the guy that Patricio knocked out, Juan Archuleta, Patric- really good fighter. Patricio is good, too. Yeah, Patricio's not bad. Uh, Darian Caldwell might be. Darian Caldwell has some issues he has to iron out in his overall game, but Darian Caldwell's a really good fighter. Uh, again, there are good fighters in Bellator. I am not saying that they're full of bums. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Ricky, I think, has never actually won a Bellator title. Like, he's won the tournament. No, P- Patricio is the better of the two. Right. By a, by right. a, mar- by a noticeable margin. So again, they've had good they've had good fighters in the past. They have some good fighters now. They will have good fighters in the future. I mean, look, I can make jokes about Ryan Bader, and I do, and will in the future. He's a good fighter, and he he's there. You know, he's a double champion for them right now. And 
I mean, he was top five when he left the UFC. He was a very relevant light heavyweight when he left, yeah. I think you should have Daniel, really, just to have just to do the fight. I mean, look, it would have been nice to watch Ryan Bader get thrown around by Daniel Cormier. I would have enjoyed that. Has Phil Davis gotten better, though? No. Look, Phil Davis and Ryan Bader had a five-round version of their three-round fight that everyone hated. Uh, it's so weird with Phil Davis, because he had, like, all the tools. Has Yeah, he has a lot of... He's, I mean, he still wins fights. He's still not a bad fighter. No, not a bad, but I feel like he, he should have become even better than he was. Like, I feel like he should have been a UFC title contender or a UFC champion, you know? Yeah, he just... He's that good of an athlete, because he's that... He's a, he's a tremendous athlete. Yeah, there's, look, he's a tremendous wrestler. He's a tremendous athlete in general. He's got a great distance-closing ability. He's got a good kicking game. Like, and I'm not... Grappling and submission. Yeah, really good submission game. It's just he just for some reason it never really came together, and he stumbled at all the important junctures. Right. Weird. I mean, look, combat sports are littered with guys like Phil Davis who have a significant, who have a lot of the tools, and everyone can kind of look at it and go, you know, I think so and so is going to be something big, and then it never pans out. It, oh. it happens. I mean, it, in some respects, it did pan out because he did. You know, I mean, he again, had a lot of success. Don't get me wrong. Sucked, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think we can close it down for tonight. Uh, ooh. Oh, sorry. I just got the I just got the notification. Gordon Ryan is now double gold at ADCC. He beat Bouchesha in the absolute division. That's it. He submitted everyone but two guys this year. Gordon Ryan's a monster. 24 years old. Uh, yeah, he won his weight division the last... They, they only hold ADCC every two years, so at the last ADCC, he won his division and I think took silver in the absolute division. Uh, yes. I again, Gordon Ryan is nuts. I, I love watching that man. <laughs> Gordon Ryan is great. You think he could go far in the Olympics? No, there's no category for what he does in the Olympics. The Olympics should add submission grappling. I completely agree with you. I was a little bit surprised when they went to Rio, they didn't add uh, jiu-jitsu. I thought they had an opportunity to. They do have some sports with submissions in them, yes? In the judo. Right. Yeah, you, you can tap people out in judo. But I feel like maybe not, maybe they don't have to add uh, BJJ, but why not um, submission grappling? That is jujitsu. <laughs> All right, so jujitsu. There you go. Well, you know, some category similar to yeah. I get. I I would like them to. I really would. Umbrella for BJJ for submission grappling, like what like what the ADCC does. They'd have to come to an. Oh God, you know what? I think part of the reason they don't is they'd have to come to a unified. They'd have to come to some kind of consensus about rules, because right now there's not. There's a lot of different guys experimenting with rule sets. Mm -hmm. um, some of the rules change from gi to no gi. Some places allow heel hooks. Some don't. Some uh, slamming is kind of generally banned, but what categorizes as a slam is somewhat nebulous, depending on where you are in the world. So. I don't know. 
Again, I wish they would. I would love to see it, but uh, I, I think Ryan's mentioned he's going to be looking to transition towards MMA, so you can be on the lookout for him. Um, right. I I don't know yet. Uh, he's working on it. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I mean, Gary Tonin fights now, and Tonin was at ADCC this year. I think he won his weight. want to continue seeing Ryan Hall fight. I mean, yeah, there's still Ryan Hall, and I like Ryan Hall too. So, so again, just throwing that out there. I mean, in a, in other loose combat news, you know, uh, Sean. For those boxing fans, um, Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter had the boxing fight of the year last night. Uh, that was insane. I want an immediate rematch between those two. Uh, I have no issue with Spence winning the decision, the split decision in his favor. I took issue with one of the scorecards because I thought 116 to 112 for Spence was a little bit dubious. Uh, especially given that, like, the math on that becomes a little bit weird, especially because there was a knockdown in the uh, 11th round that he scored on Porter. Uh, anyway, great fight if you're into boxing. Look it up if you didn't see it. You won't be disappointed. Great, great fight. Uh, all right, I'm not... Now that we've closed up with our more miscellaneous combat sports news, what do you got to plug, Jeff? Uh, go to the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. Check out my latest interview with uh, WOW Women of Wrestling CEO David McClain. Uh, in terms of movie reviews, check out my review of the awful Lucy in the Sky starring Natalie Portman. Total Oscar awards bait that fails in every respect. My next movie review will be the highly anticipated, highly controversial Joker. It's called just Joker. Loosely based on the DC Comics character. And then well, after- I spun up controversy about that over nothing. <laughs> well, I agree, but, you know, it's, it's 2019. What else are people going to talk about? Real issues? You know, apparently you bring, a, you bring up a valid point. <laughs> apparently, apparently a comic book movie is the source of all vi- violence against everyone in the world and the cause of mass. It, it, it's really a movie about a comic book character that's causing mass shootings and and what have you. And incels, or, I don't know. In, incels seems to be the buzzword going on around this movie. I, I don't even know what it means, but. I could te- I'll tell you, just, <laughs> I know, just, just for the sake of edification. Means, but I feel like people use it just. To oh sure. Well, like they throw it out there, even though even when it's a deeply right. inaccurate, it's become kind of a catch-all term for we don't like white men. Right. Kind of thing. So that's kind of the operative word going on about this movie, and uh, to me. Honestly, I mean, the premise is not one I, I really care about so much, but I mean, I'm not going to take that in with me when I see the film. So that's the next review. And then, then uh, I actually got invited to a press conference, my first press conference in like three years, or I think since like Star Trek Beyond. Uh, <laughs> and guess what movie it's for? Uh, what? Gemini Man with Will Smith. So. <laughs> You're going to be going? Yeah, I, I am going to go, and that's uh, this. It's later this week, so I'm going to be seeing Gemini Man, and then I'm going to be going to the press conference on Friday. 
So I'll probably do some live tweets and coverage uh, from the Gemini Man uh, press conference. So check out the, the 411 Mania Twitter account for that. I will look forward to you talking about Gemini Man then. Because... And that's the movie. Will Smith, Will Smith fights his younger clone. That's the gist of it. I want to say there's a joke in there somewhere. I mean, it's, it's about it's, it's amusing. The idea is amusing. Don't get me wrong, but we'll see. I've if... been tr- I've been trying to work out which version, which older character of Will Smith's I want to use, but I want to make a joke about like it's the Fresh Prince versus, and then I need someone else on the other side of that card, you know, <laughs> and I can't the, think of the old the old prince. I don't know. Um, the writer is David Benioff, the co-creator of the Game of Thrones series. Which yeah, I, and you, you never watched, right? I have never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. That is true. Well, you've apparently read all the Song of Ice and Fire books. But I have haven't. read the books, yes. Read all the books, but you've never watched the show, which I find fascinating. I didn't have HBO until very recently. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that don't have HBO have watched the series. I was not going to go that far out of my way for it. Yeah. Um, have you read the Dune books? No. I know I should. I know they're well-regarded kind of thing, and they're important, but as far as the the development of sci-fi and fantasy goes... Because Denis Villeneuve is making a new movie. I'm interested in that mostly for the director. Okay. I mean, if I have any interest in Gemini Man, it's because Sam Mendes is directing. That is correct. Anyway, so that's all I have for this week. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Jeff. All right, as for myself, last week, Mark Radlich and I got together to review Rambo Last Blood, which is kind of a mess of a movie. And not really in the fun way, either, until the very end. Um, We also, on Thursday, had a TV party for Disenchantment Season 2, myself, Mark Radlich, and David Wright, uh, which was a lot of fun, so we talked about that. Uh, this coming Tuesday, I don't think there's a movie review. I can't remember what's, uh, what they're doing on Tuesday, but uh, I think the next movie we'll be reviewing for Damn You Hollywood is Joker. So you can tune in when we review that. Um, next week, we will be back here and reviewing UFC 243, assuming it goes through, and it, I really hope it does. And... We will be previewing, yeah, we'll be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 19, which is the UFC event in Tampa, Florida. Um, You know, not a bad card, actually. Uh, the main event is Ioana Jacek and Michelle Waterson. Good fight. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is back. She's trying to fight at strawweight. I look forward to seeing how much she misses weight by. It's not a crack at her being fat, but she's not a strawweight. Shit. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Davidson Figueredo and Tim Elliott's a darn good fight that will be buried somewhere on the prelims because LOL flyweights. Uh, James Vick and Nico Price is guaranteed craziness. Uh, you know, again, it's a pretty solid card, actually. In fact, if we were to tally up the cards, this is probably better than 243, absent the main event for 243. So uh, we'll have a full preview of that event next week. And I will have coverage of UFC 243 Saturday afternoon in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So please stop by and say hello. I appreciate it. It gets lonely on some of these cards, man. I'm up at like, you know, not, I won't be up early for this one. So 
Forgive my griping. I'm just, I'm just glad that you read. If you don't have anything to say, you don't really want to say anything, I completely understand. I am a longtime lurker of many various things myself. Makes sense completely. Um, so if you do feel like saying anything, even if it's just a hi, hello, how are you kind of deal, I, I always appreciate any sort of interaction I can get with people reading. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll be back then, everybody. Until then. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.